it's easy to get caught up because there's no shortage of fires to put out in restaurants every day. And it's get easy to get caught up in like the task orientation of, you know, I've got all of these these line item things to get done um, and forget about the people. And I think that taking more of a people orientation and less of a task orientation has been really key to our success. Thanks for joining me back on the podcast. With me today are a family of operators running multiple concepts that believe in supporting veteran causes, giving back to their community, and above all, providing what they call service first. We talk about all the ins and outs of running great restaurants. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars, your team are the foundation of your business. And every shift, they're leaving impressions with your guests in your restaurant. Now, every impression counts, and they have to be positive. Training is the key and absolutely essential to providing what I call amazing dining experiences. But effective training takes time and commitment if you had to do it yourself. Well, imagine a staff training tool that's completely customized to your restaurant brand and restaurant. It teaches your entire menu and what makes your restaurant brand special. Then it trains your team, your entire team, to sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business. Now, it's also important to recognize rising talent in your organization. This tool also trains future stars to become leaders that can run your business for you. I call that an exit strategy. Now, this tool is called Serve. Now, learn more at srvnow.com. That's srvnow.com. Check it out. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating, or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. With me today are Joe, Nicole, and Blaine, a family-run owner-operator business called BCRG, also known as Blue Collar Restaurant Group, out in the mountains of Bozeman, Montana. And uh, let's see, you're out in Jackson Hole as well. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah, great to be with you, Roger. 
Well, you know, my audience always knows that I start off with the backstory of my guests. Now, everyone has a hospitality backstory. Now, you're a family-owned and operated um, operation, but maybe this goes back farther than the company you're running now. Maybe you guys started off when you're in high school, washing dishes or working at McDonald's. Anything is fair game. I'd like each of you, you know, each of you to tell us uh, where you all started and where the passion for the business came from. Uh, I'll go. So I started. Uh, yeah, I think I was a busboy when I was 14 uh, at a pancake house in New Jersey. Then one summer of college, uh, I got this wild idea in 1979 that I was going to start a restaurant. So I started a restaurant called the Original Salad Bar. Uh, it was kind of before salad bars became really big. And I gave it my best shot and quickly went out of business six months later. Uh, and so that was my earliest uh uh, you know, being in the restaurant business. Okay, very good. Nicole, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, I'm Joe's daughter, so I kind of grew up in the restaurant business. But some of my earliest memories are going into the restaurants as a young girl. Um, my mom and dad would cook in the restaurants and make all the sauces at our first restaurant, Mary Piglet's. And um, I remember helping my mom de-pit the avocados to make the guacamole um, for the day. And she'd always have a plate of pancakes for me. So that's kind of where my first memory came from. That's nice. Very good. And Blaine. Yeah, my first restaurant job was in, was just a college job, um, cooking pizzas and, and washing dishes. Um, you know, nothing, nothing special really, but definitely look back on it with fond memories. Okay, let's talk about BCRG. What's the origin of the name? And tell us the history of your brand and how it started and you know what your journey has been up until now. Uh, when my wife and I, I, I was in the Marine Corps and I got out of the Marine Corps in 1989. And uh, I guess it's always been in my blood. So we moved to Jackson Hole, you know, with very little money and bought this little restaurant called Mary Piglet's. Um, it was basically just a summer business only labor uh, Memorial Day Labor Day, and I've always considered myself a working man. I still do, and that's where the origins of blue collar came from because mm-hmm. we really stress uh, a lot of our uh, values in our company are about our people, and I think the blue collar uh, denotes that. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for your service. I have a special place in my heart for the Marine Corps. My father was a Korean War corporal in the Marine Corps. Wow. And, uh, you know, I remember at his funeral, we had a Marine color guard. They presented my mother with the flag. They played taps. They shot the rifles in the air. It was a very, very moving ceremony. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget it. So, again, thank you for your service and and for that as well. Um, And your father's. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, my dad was a wonderful man and I learned so much from him and, um, yeah, the stories he could tell, I'll tell you, but nonetheless, yeah. Um, let's talk about the concepts themselves. Um, the, each individual concept, they're all different. Now your family runs all of them. They're in different locations. They're all different. Did one start first and then, you know, they grew from there and let's talk about what those concepts are. Yeah. Well, our first one was Mary Piglet's. It's our Mexican restaurant. It's our oldest concept. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really start that concept. It's been around since 1969. We bought it in 1989, but 
it was basically a fast casual restaurant, very, very basic when we bought it. And now we've turned it into a very full service. It's been a full service restaurant for a long time. So that's our first one. I'll let these guys, All right. if they want, talk about yeah. the other ones. Please do. Um, Go ahead, Nicole. Yeah. Uh, let's see. After Mary Piglet's. Well, there was. Five winners. Well, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about Blue Moon or not, but <laughs> there are some restaurants in between the restaurants now, but um, currently Sidewinders was the next one and that was in 1997, um, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bar, a really only a bar at the time and there was a restaurant connected to it that was ours as well called the Blue Moon Diner and that serviced all the food to the sidewinder side of things and then we basically took the sidewinders concept and expanded on that um, and made that a full service restaurant my dad uh, started that with all of his marine buddies that he flew with and the marines so the whole concept is based on the military and it's an all-american grill Um, so that's kind of the one we've grown with recently Mm -hmm. all right very good and keep on going yeah, I guess after that, the next the next one that's still around today was Noodle Kitchen. Um, well, the the one as far as uh, concepts that you know original concepts, um, we also acquired a longstanding barbecue restaurant in Jackson called Bubba's Barbecue. Um, that's been in business, I guess, since what the eighties. Um, yeah, I think eighty two. Yeah. Um, so Bubba's, I guess I could tell that story a little bit. Bubba's was um, kind of struggling and and we started there just as uh, on like a consulting uh, basis. And then um, eventually uh, we're able to, um, you know, buy in and, uh, and that's been a, a really great addition to the group. That was like 2013 or 14, I believe. Um, and then Noodle Kitchen was right around the same time. We took an existing concept um, that Joe and Denise had started uh, a few years prior to that called Ignite and sort of uh, reinvented that into Noodle Kitchen, which is like an Asian bistro and, and sushi bar now. So, um, You have a very unique company culture, and I really want to get into the depths of that. But before we do... Can one of you tell me about your tagline, service first, be kind, do well? I mean, that says a lot. It's a beautiful thing. It speaks to hospitality, but please define that a little bit further for us because I know the audience, you know, in the times of service and hospitality lacking in some cases based on labor shortages and everything, it's still so important to deliver those types of messages to our guests. You guys go ahead. You guys were in that. Yeah, I I can touch on that a little bit. Um, We, so, I mean, the blue collar brand has been around for a while. I think Joe, you know, could speak to that as far as like when he decided to really brand the restaurants as a group and, and kind of put the blue collar stamp on it. But we, uh, we sort of refined the brand um, like two or three years ago um, with, you know, full brand package and the tagline. And we landed on service first as our primary tagline because we really believe that that mentality, the service first mentality is what 
is truly like our competitive advantage uh, within the restaurant space. Um, we truly believe that, you know, regardless of the concept and our concepts do range pretty widely from, you know, super fast casual to pretty fine dining that leading with that service first mindset allows for, you know, a consistent experience across the blue collar spectrum. Um, and if we are able to do that consistently, then that's what really ensures a great customer experience because basically the, the belief is that, you know, you can come in and have really great food, but not so great service. And that makes the food not taste so great. But if, as long as you have really great service, it's okay if, you know, we're going to make mistakes, whether it's on the food or the cocktail that gets mixed for you or whatever. But as long as we're providing really great service, then the customer is probably still going to have a great experience. Perfect. Let's talk about company culture because that affects the team, that affects the guests, that sort of the overarching mission statement fits into that. But what do you stand for? And then how would you describe the culture of your company in terms of the working relationships between your team, um, how you sort of communicate across the different brands? If you ever get together as a group, if there's any team building, tell us what your culture is about and, and how it works. I'll start. Uh, so... Basically, our culture is uh, we just had a team meeting this morning with our management team in Jackson, and we do have weekly leadership team meetings, too, with our senior leadership team. But I, I speak a lot to groups, and I enjoy speaking to people and groups, and I always start with uh, what the Marine Corps taught me, and a few of our brand pillars are, you know, take care of your people. Leaders eat last, and there's no special parking places. Um, I mean, we—I know we all have to have titles, but if you look at my signature page, it just says Joe Rice. I drive a '71 Ford pickup uh, to remind me of where I came from because I came from very little. So we're very big on company culture and taking care of our people, and that means, you know, anything from. They need to get their car fixed. They need help with their rent. Whatever it is, we do. Uh, and we, we're fortunate enough to be able to do that. And that's why in our company, compared to the majority of restaurants in the country, we don't have a lot of staffing problems. We have people working for us 28 years, Twenty a number of people working for us over 20 years. We Their kids now work for us. Uh, so we stress so much our company culture. And we try to really lead by example. If I go to a restaurant, I still, and the dishes need to be done, I'll jump in the dish pit. Uh, the floor needs to be swept, I'll sweep the floor. Uh, I, I still really look at myself as just another one of the, the staff uh, helping to achieve the mission. So that's kind of my, and then, you know, Nicole and Blaine, uh, I'm sure they have something to add to that, Nicole. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that, we talk about a lot is just family. Um, I mean, we are a family run business, but it's a lot deeper than that. Like we really, we care about our employees. We care about their lives outside of work. Um, we just, we always make a point to take that extra few minutes or whatever it is to really get to know our employees. Where are you from? Like about your family, what do you need? We're here for you. Um, we're here to support you. And I think that's like one of our biggest 
like X factors, if you'd say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can I add something real quick? Uh, oh yes, please, please do. Uh, be, Roger. Uh, so I had a mentor named Gene Street from Dallas, Texas. He used to own Consolidated Restaurant Group. He's 85 now. He taught me the business. And uh, I mean, from the financial side, uh, you know, CFO side, you know, to how he ran his company. But one thing I always have disagreed with in the restaurant business was how much they work their people. So I think this is really important. Our staff, our management team works 40 hours a week. They get paid as much as the, the managers make work in 60 hours a week. Our chefs uh, work, uh, you know, the same. We, we believe everybody should have two days off a week, the same two days. If you have a family event, you go to that family event. Uh, and this, it might sound too good to be true, but this is exactly how we run the company. And people always ask us, how do you do it? And in my head, I'm always thinking, wow, how don't you do it? You know, because people, you got to give people a life. If they don't have a life, they're not going to stay with you no matter how much they're making. And we have a number of examples in our company of people seeking us out from other companies. We have two new people, two new high power, pretty really good chefs coming into our company right now that have worked in other companies in this area and are coming here because of our culture. You know, paying bills is one time-consuming restaurant detail in a thousand other details. With Plate IQ, your accounts payable is handled accurately and automatically. Plate IQ works with 30,000 restaurants of all types, eliminating manual data entry in your accounts payable process. Technology takes care of line item general ledger coding to invoice payment through Plate IQ's vendor pay network. Now, no more paper checks. Your restaurant can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to payment and even earn cash back from paying over 180,000 vendors in the network on time. Plate IQ is your paperless digital filing cabinet that frees your workspace from invoices, receipts, and statements. You can search anytime by date, item, or vendor. See when everything is due and manage schedules, approvals, payments, and filing right from your mobile. Pay digitally by check, ACH, or your Plate IQ card. Best of all, no money leaves your account until it's received by your vendor, which improves your cash flow and cuts confusion. It's time to check out Plate IQ at plateiq.com. That's a beautiful thing. That's exactly how I ran restaurants, but it's not common and it definitely stands apart. And it's clear that that's what makes you successful from a labor standpoint. Blaine, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that's you know really been beneficial for us over the past you know two or three years is the establishment like of our like solidifying our core values and communicating those to our staff um, because there's been countless stories now where people you know people can relate to those and you know people have individual values themselves and they're not going to share all we have five core values as a company they're not going to necessarily share all five all the time but they share one or two that's how you really build a lot of you know uh consistency and and we've you know significantly lowered our turnover because people you know when you share those values between an organization and for you as an individual that's it makes it bigger than a job so people look at you know how competitive the the employment market has been over the past few years and, you know, employees jumping ship for a dollar an hour here or there. 
Well, yes. when they when they are connected to a value within your organization, they don't really care about the dollar per hour they can get down the street because they're bought in to you know something that they know is bigger than you know whatever that dollar value is. I'm getting the sense that your team have a voice that is welcome to be heard in your restaurants and that if they have good ideas, they're encouraged to bring them forward. If something is broken, they'll tell you about it. It's like it's open communication both ways. Joe already told us about leadership by example, how important that is. But would you say that's true? I mean, you all have open door policies. You'll listen, you encourage good ideas, and you'll even implement them if you think that it'll improve the operation. Yeah. We stress to anybody that works for us that if you're not willing to give us constructive criticism, you're, we really don't want you working for us. Uh, and we we had a number of, I had personally, uh, we had the management team meeting this morning that I participated in. Then I sat with uh, our general manager at Sidewinders and our head chef at our at the Blue Lion, which is a fine dining restaurant. And we, and boy, boy, was I getting some constructive criticism and it was all good. Um, and so that's why we're successful. I mean, that's not the only reason, sure. but I hate to hear like, oh, you know, something when it's two weeks later, I'm, I'm just like, Hey man, just come tell us, you know, cause we got 500 plus people in the company. We can't, you know, know everything all the time. So it's strongly encouraged. I think people are very, um, you know, open to giving us that criticism, maybe not every one of us, but to one of us, that's all that matters. Of course. Could someone take their owner manager hat off, put your guest hat on and tell the audience what you believe uh, your guests would say about any given team member in any of your concepts? No, one thing that is really valuable to a lot of our guests is that they see the same faces over and over again, you know, for a long time. Uh, We have a lot of loyalty with our staff. And so, um, you know, they love to see that our staff is just happy where they work and they look like they're having a, you know, they look like they have a good time at work and that, uh, you know, results in people that stick around. So I'm hearing that your team builds relationships with the guests and they make friends with them and they know each other by name. You recognize regulars and you treat even new first time visitors as if they were regulars, right? Does that happen? Yeah, and I would um, add on to that, too, that in both Jackson and Bozeman, we really try to integrate ourselves in our communities. And that from the guest perspective, like when they see us, you know, either out and about doing things for the community or we just recently had a big Fourth of July float um, in the parade in Jackson, which was a lot of fun. But that Mm -hmm. just helps build those relationships even more, especially in, I mean... Bozeman's a little bigger than Jackson, but they're both relatively small communities. So Sure. Right. That's true. So it's a tight-knit community, of course, and it's recognized. You're not necessarily doing it for notoriety. You're doing it because it's a good cause, but it's also good for business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always made a conscious effort to do that. And, uh, you know, Nicole and uh, Blaine and the rest of the team are doing that uh, also. But I, I think it's really important to be involved in community. We you know, our kind of things we do for the community, mainly is uh, youth sports, uh, supporting kids, uh, veterans. Uh, those are our two major ones. Uh, we, we do a lot of different things and we're definitely known uh, as that company. 
That's fantastic. Let's talk about onboarding. What's it like to onboard a new employee? Is there a sort of a shadow program going on? Um, I'd like to know any specific training philosophies that you have, recognition and rewards programs. All of it helps to develop that core group that then stays because you treat them differently than they might you know, be treated at another employer. You guys go ahead and take that. You're more involved. <laughs> go ahead, Blaine. Uh, you can start. Yeah, this is something that we've put a, a lot of time and energy into recently. Um, as you can imagine, I mean, training, especially across so many different concepts, um, is uh, it's a big it's a big topic of discussion for us on a regular basis, and and quite frankly, has been um, probably you know something that we've struggled with over the years and um, trying to figure out how to do it consistently well. Um, I think at some points in the past, we've sort of depended on um, the capabilities of certain team members, certain managers. um, And, you know, some managers are really great trainers and some managers not so much. And so um, we have pivoted a bit and now um, move forward with company-wide, like blue-collar, um, training guides that can take, um, you know, a new employee that's just being onboarded from, you know, very little or no experience to a fully competent, um, you know, worker within any position in the company within a, a, a fixed time period. Um, and the beauty of these training guides is that they're they're generic enough to apply to all of our restaurant concepts, but specific enough to uh, work, you know, per location. And so, um, you know, we can take someone right, right off the street, maybe someone with very little or no restaurant experience and get them up to speed to be a server at, you know, Bubba's or Sidewinders within a, a very uh, definite uh, defined period of time. Um, and a lot of it is just about being specific about, you know, the types of knowledge that they need to be, set up for success in their job and then also an accountability system so that we know you know who their trainer was who the manager on duty was that supervised that training um you know giving them some, some incentives to to move for, uh, through that training protocol quickly and efficiently that sort of thing do you put more stock in personality and approach to the job versus coming in with experience or prior experience in the business I would say that we aren't going to write anybody off because they don't have any experience. So if it's the right personality, we, for instance, we just had a busser at one of our restaurants, the Blue Lion, who had really very, very little experience in any type of bartending, but he was very interested. He wanted to learn and he's now one of our better bartenders. So just because you don't have experience, if you have the right work ethic and the right personality and like just the will to learn, um, that's almost even better in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I totally understand that. Let's talk about recognition and rewards programs. Do you have anything specific that singles people out for going above and beyond or helping a teammate or solving a guest problem or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, we have a number of things. I could, they could probably talk about it uh, 
more distinctly than us, but the, the two of the big, the one of the biggest things we've done as a company from day one, when we had no money, we always had a really great employee party. Uh, we're known around this area as the place that does the best employee parties. And in those employee parties, uh, I mean, they're blowouts now uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, we recognize a number of people in the company with some really, really nice gifts. So that's usually uh, twice a year with with the uh, big get-togethers. And then on a daily basis, we do stuff too, whether it's point, putting points on their card to eat at any restaurant. So all our staff can eat at any restaurant for half off. Uh, all our management team eats in any restaurant for free. Uh, so w- with the staff, we do those kind of things. And I'm sure Blaine and Ellie could add some to that. I mean, Blaine and Nicole, sorry. Ellie's my middle daughter, Blaine's wife. <laughs> I get all my kids mixed up sometimes. I know, that's great. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, Does Ellie work in the business as well? Yeah, so I have three daughters all in the business. Ellie, Nicole, Ellie, and Brooke, and then Blaine's my son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Excellent. So how do you um, recognize and develop talent within your organization to move people up? You must always have your eyes open for real standouts that you can see. They might start out as a busser or as a server, but they clearly have potential to be leaders in your organization. Is there any sort of recognition program and then training to get them up to speed to assimilate these positions? I just want to touch on this real quick because I've been yeah. doing this so long. Please so we do. have a num- number of incidents where we, we have... Pretty much our whole kitchen in Jackson is Hispanic. Uh, most of these Hispanics have been with me uh, almost as long as I've been doing the restaurant business. Uh, and they started knowing no English, started as uh, dishwashers. I taught them how to cook on the line. Not all of them now, but the, the older guys. And now they're running our kitchens. So this morning in the meeting, in the management team meeting, because we're opening uh our third sidewinders here in December, you know, I put it out to the staff, look, you know, we want to hire from within. That's our first priority. If you know anybody that might make a good manager, let us know. And if anybody's interested in being the general manager, moving over to this new location, please let us know. So yes, that's how we do everything. We want to hire from within number one, but you know, sometimes we obviously have to go outside, uh, but that's our second uh, option. Do your team ever sort of pivot to different concepts? Do they move on to other concepts and move into those positions there? As I'm sure that's happened on occasion. Is it a regular thing every once in a while? Um, it happens. I feel like it happens quite a bit. We have a lot of people. I think one of the strengths really of the company is a lot of our managers and a lot of our guys in the kitchen can work at multiple locations. And it helps, you know, it helps keep things fresh and exciting for those individuals, but it also gives us the flexibility to fill in spots if we're, you know, lose, if we lost somebody at a place or we need extra support one night. Um, most of our staff that does that really enjoys that. That's terrific. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Tell us about the pandemic and how it affected your organization. Was it devastating? Did you make it through? Did you pivot numerous times? Did you bring in sort of new technology that you didn't have before? I mean, maybe all the above. There's so much meat there and so much to talk about. I'm I'm just going to start and I'm going to pass it on. So when the pandemic hit, I, you know, from the Marine Corps, I'm like, we're going to attack this head on. 
and we're going to kick its ass. And that's what we did. Fantastic. Uh, so Blaine and uh, Nicole can talk about some of the stuff we did. I mean, right away, I think we jumped into, you know, the staff being top priority. Um, we knew that, you know, obviously we had hundreds of people whose income uh, was at risk. And, uh, and so we needed to, you know, look at that closely. And our, our goal was just to try to remain open in some capacity um, in order to, you know, just be able to provide jobs as much as possible. Um, and also like a secondary effect of that being that we wanted to remain constant and uh, have that consistent impact with our customers too, because we knew that, you know, if we, if we did decide to close for any period of time, it would just be that much more difficult to, you know, recover um, with our customer base. I remember one of the first things that we did, and it's kind of ironic now that we're sitting on zoom, but pre pandemic, I didn't, I don't think any of us knew about Zoom or Google Meet. And um, I remember we all jumped on a FaceTime call <laughs> to discuss how we were going to attack the next few months. Um, and yeah, I think it was, it was a big change for everybody, but I do feel like we really were like, okay, this is what it is. Like, what, what do we need to do? How do we take care of our people? How do we stay open once we are able to reopen? Um, and we were fortunate enough once we got the green light to reopen that we didn't have to close down again, maybe a day or two here and there. But um, for the high majority of the time, we were able to be open seven days a week at full-time hours. So we were very fortunate for that. Mm -hmm. Very good. We also, Roger, we also, um, you know, uh, we thrived during the pandemic. Uh, we, we were very fortunate to be in Montana and Wyoming that, and not to be in California or these other states that were shutting small business down. Yes. Um, and which really pissed me off uh, knowing what, you know, I think we had an early read on this whole thing. We really studied it. We studied what was going on with it. And we were very aggressive in uh, the way we did things and it paid off. And uh, we've, I hate to say it because we usually don't say this kind of stuff, but we were right. I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? That's terrific. That's a great approach to the business. You, you tackled it head on and just full speed ahead. That's great. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, as owners, we can be critical and we've got a discerning eye and we have you know high standards, but we do eat out in other 
restaurants, right? When we have free time or, you know, whenever it is, what do you consider to be the secret sauce of a really great restaurant? If we forget about your concepts just for a moment and you're dining out, what do you notice that impresses you? What do you notice that inspires you? Do you get new ideas from going out to other places? Tell us about that. Um, I mean, when we go out to eat as a family, uh, my my husband is not in the business, but he always laughs because it's like we're all, you know, we're looking at everything. We're looking up, we're looking over, we're looking down, we're lifting plates upside down, looking at what kind of brands they use. Um, right, of course. You know, so a lot of ideas just in that way, just the um, equipment and small wares and just the look of things. But um, I think really the biggest thing is just the service. You know, we, we always talk about that. And when we go to a restaurant, we get really good service. It always kind of leaves a lasting imprint. That's what it's all about. That's a, I've always believed it's the biggest competitive advantage. You know, food and ambiance are very important, but service really stands apart. And that's really where you can shine and set yourselves apart from the competition. So it's clear in your organization that, you know, service is your driving philosophy. But what, what are the other elements that you would consider to be, you know, um, enhancers or contributors to your particular success? What's the secret formula of BCRG that makes it really work and successful? I think definitely like, you know, food quality, you know, beverages, the, at the end of the day, the product that we're putting on the plate or in the, in the glass the service, all that is important. Um, but I think that ever since we've really started putting a focus on like having complete brand packages um, for each of our restaurant, each of our restaurants, I think that's made a, a big impact too, because um you know, we've really been able to help control our reputation, both as like a company and individual restaurant concepts through, you know, that, that complete brand package. I even think, you know, back to your last question about, you know, what do we look for when we go out to other restaurants and stuff? I think, you know, branding can mean so many different things. It's, you know, it's your signage, it's the uniforms that your staff is wearing. It's the type of plates and silverware, it's the furniture, it's the color scheme. So it impacts the the customer in a lot of different ways. And we've been more intentional about those decisions that we're making with each individual restaurant concept and, you know, the, the blue collar restaurant group concept uh, as a whole. Um, and, you know, being, being more attentive to how all those decisions, you know, make, uh, our customers feel, um, and what they, what, how it makes them think of, of us as a company. All right. If Let's I have, could add something real yeah, quick, right? Absolutely. Joe, go ahead. So I always tell the team, you know, we always try to use, we never, I, yes. uh, as a company, uh, but the customer's experience starts when they get out of their car. Uh, is the parking lot clean? You know, as they walk in, are they being greeted? You know, hey, hi, not three, two, hey, how you doing today? You guys in town? What are you up to? You know, uh, start a conversation a little bit, but not get stuck, obviously. But I can give you an example. We had a leadership retreat with our leadership team. Uh, both markets, we went to Phoenix and we had a dinner planned at a restaurant in Phoenix or Scottsdale, wherever. And we walked in and we're all blown away by the atmosphere. But by the time we left, we're, we're like, nah, because the atmosphere was great. 
But when we sat down, the service was very average. The food was very average. Uh, so the initial impression, at least for me personally, was, wow, this is pretty cool. But then by the end of it, it wasn't. So you really got to have, I always say you got to have a wow factor a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, some places can get away with, hey, this hole in wall is just a home run, right? But when we build a restaurant, we always want a wow factor. When people walk in, they're like, wow, this is pretty cool. But then you got to back that wow factor up. So that restaurant in Phoenix had a wow factor, but they didn't back it up. I've always used that term myself, you know, and it really began with the plate presentations. We wanted every plate presentation to be perfect so that when you sat that dish down in front of any guest or customer, they would say, wow, the other guests at the table would say, wow, maybe the camera phones would come out. But then I suddenly realized it's not just about the food. Everything about the place should have wow factor. You know, the way you're treated, even as a first time visitor, the ambiance, the hooks, what makes your, you know, your concepts unique and and stand apart from the competition. It should all be about wow. So I'm really glad you brought up that term. Um, Yeah, you could, you would fit in in our company. (laughs) Thank you. Because you have the same philosophy, it sounds like. Let's talk about staying relevant. You know, there's countless stories about restaurants that were around for 50 years and even longer, and then they didn't keep up with the changing clientele and they suddenly went out of business, even though they've been around forever. So, you know, you don't fix what isn't broken, but to stay relevant, sometimes you have to keep innovating. Let's talk about that within your company and what you might do and and how you feel about that. So Gene Street, uh, you could Google him. He's he's a great restaurateur. He always taught me this. He, um, He always said, don't let your concept get tired. You know, so we're always trying to, uh, like we, Mary Pickett's has been around over 50 years. Uh, Sidewinders has been around, what, over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still powerhouses, but we're constantly, you know, up, not constantly, but we're upgrading the interiors. We're changing things up. We're, uh, you know, always doing menu improvements, uh, but we don't want to be a, you know, like a number of chains. Change used to be the thing in the 80s, right? Independence were kind of getting killed. Uh, Now, chains come and like stay in our restaurants and try to figure out how we're doing things. Because we're we're basically, you know, I think good independent restaurants are kicking chains' ass, is my point. No, I would disagree. We're agile and we Mm -hmm. always preach quick reaction team. If something's broken, let's get it fixed now. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. We're going to fix it right now, what, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Part of that in the chain is there's 10 layers of management and every right. level has to get approval the one above before they can institute anything that might, you know, set them apart or make it work better. So I would absolutely agree with you. Just the agility and the innovation, the creativity and the passion and the pride that goes into running an independent restaurant and growing that group to multiple concepts is, you know, you got so much above the chains just for that uh, you know, that approach alone. And we give our people the power to make those decisions. You know, we, we delegate, you know, all the time, uh, and, you know, delegate and supervise, we preach that, uh, but they're, they're allowed to do what they think is best for the company. Well, you mentioned earlier leadership by example, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm a big believer in leader versus manager and empowerment versus delegate. Because there's a difference between those things. A leader is acting exactly how you are, Joe. You notice something that needs to be fixed, you fix it, you empower your people to see things and notice them before the guest sees them and fix that. You're empowering your people. 
But empowerment versus delegating, I believe any manager can tell somebody what to do. To me, that's delegating. But empowerment is recognizing talent in someone, nurturing that talent, developing it, giving them more responsibility, giving them room to fail, praising them for their accomplishments, and then giving them new responsibilities, and then recognizing and rewarding them for that. And I'm I'm pretty sure from what I've heard before, that's how you run your company because your longevity of staff is so is so long. You know, your tenure is is you don't have high turnover. So I think that's tremendous. I want everyone in the audience to hear that because I think the pandemic has forced us to operate that way now. Because in the past, before we had all these labor issues and other problems, it was pretty common for managers just to delegate to people, tell them what to do. You know, you'd, you'd come in for your paycheck. But I think the people that really rose above had something special in them to begin with. But I think the whole paradigm shift of the pandemic forced staff to be better and leaders to be better if you wanted to keep your people. Because I think you mentioned it yourself. I mean, it's not uncommon that restaurant owners or managers were sort of pirating staff from other restaurants right out of the parking lot when people got out of work saying, hey, I'll give you two bucks more to be my line cook or whatever. And those are horrible stories, but they happened. you know. So it's unfortunate, but I think if people took a page out of your book, maybe this whole industry would operate a whole lot smoother. And I want everyone to hear to hear and know that. So thank you so much for sharing. Well, um, I think your point of empowerment over delegate is probably a better word than delegate. And maybe we'll start using that more uh, than the delegate because that's what we're doing. We're, we're empowering people to make decisions. We're not telling them what to do. We're saying, hey, just figure it out. If it's the wrong decision, we'll talk about it. But but you're not going to get fired for making a decision. We want you to make that decision. That's that's terrific. I totally agree with that. So um, thanks for clarifying. Let's talk about loyalty and affinity. I know you've got a loyalty program, but what is it about your concepts that bring people back again and again? And how do you encourage them to come back again and even to build your your customer base through you know word of mouth which is always the most powerful form of marketing you know word of mouth and and all that sort of thing just leads to a, a stronger business but let's talk about loyalty or, or affinity how does it work i mean i think the biggest things with our restaurants is we've kind of touched on it a little bit but our customers they know they're going to get consistent great service they know they're going to get high quality food um and they're they're going to get it at a relatively reasonable price. So um, it's this is something that we even talked about this morning and my dad talks about a lot. It's just because the majority, almost all of our restaurants are casual dining. That doesn't mean that they can't get the best service and the best food, you know, just because we're not a fine dining restaurant. So, and the fact that we offer that, but then we also offer like the relationship side of things where we, we know about our, a lot of our customers. We know about, what they have going on their their kids work for us now or the mm-hmm. kids that we coached when they were little want to come work for us um so it's definitely multifaceted anything to add blaine yeah i think i think just that consistency is like is what really breeds loyalty you know consistency within a certain concept you know we have certain customers that you know, the regulars at Sidewinders that are there multiple days a week because they love that chicken pot pie and it's made the same way every day. And they, you know, they can rely on that, but then also the consistency from concept to concept, that service first mentality that customers know that if I go to a blue collar restaurant, I'm going to have, you know, certain elements of 
my experience are going to be consistent across, you know, from location to location or now even market to market, right? If I, if I live in Jackson, but I've got a sports tournament in Bozeman this weekend, I know if I go to one of the blue collar restaurants, I'm going to have a good experience. And that, because that's always a risk you take as a, as a restaurant customer, like if you're going to go spend real money in a restaurant you've never been to before, you never really know what's going to happen. Right. And so I think that these standards that we've set as a company, like as blue collar restaurant group and being able to keep those, like uphold those consistently across all of the different brands and and locations um, is what really breeds the loyalty across, you know, within our customer base. How are you handling rising costs of food and and labor and all those things? Have you had to raise prices? Have you, you know, overhauled your menus to make them tighter, cut back on certain things? Uh, Joe sounds like he's really on top of the finances. Maybe that's his answer, but can you tell me about that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, we, you know, we talk about as a company a lot, Um, you know, our food costs are up, our labor's up and our profits are down. Because we cannot charge twenty five dollars for a hamburger, uh, so how we handle it is we push it as far as we can for perceived value, mm-hmm. and then we stop. And so our, you know, right now our margins are down um, due to high high food costs and labor costs. But you know, the good news was I checked the case of chicken wings today and it was only eighty something dollars. So you know that that's a pretty good price in this market. You know, so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, things will level as far as changing stuff on the menu at our finer dining restaurants. We have more flexibility to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like at the Blue Lion, we have a lot of game, uh, you know, elk, buffalo, you know, prime steaks, you know, so our margins, you know, even the lamb is our big dish there. And we're charging $60 for a rack, a rack of lamb, but nobody's even blinking at that. But guess what? Our margins still lower. Um, so. We're fine, you know, as a company, uh, well, this is not uh, something we can't handle, but, you know, we have, we talked about today, um, you know, you know, portion control becomes extremely important right now because, you know, that's a good way to get our food costs right. You know, even with these high prices, if we can keep our portions exactly what we need or. I was looking at a, uh, I was on the line yesterday at Sidewinders and our French dip you could barely close the roll. And I'm like, I went to our head kitchen guy who was standing right next to me, Rigo, who's been working for me forever. And I go, Rigo, how many ounces is this? And he said, six ounces. I said, I think we can cut this by at least an ounce and nobody would care. You know, so that's the stuff we're doing. We're trying to, we're trying to do those kind of things. And our food costs are, you know, in the low thirties, which is good in this market, you know, and sometimes even some of the restaurants are still a little below 30, you know, so. Mm-hmm. And I think to add on to that too, we, it kind of goes back to relationships. We have a lot of longstanding and good relationships with most of our vendors. So we're constantly working with them every day on, are there you know products we can lock in prices with and can we work out this deal? And just having that longstanding relationship has definitely helped us a lot in some of those areas. Um, but we, we are really on top of everything. Like we, we check every invoice, anything that's off by a few cents. We're like, Hey, what's going on? Why is this up? This isn't our price. So, um, we just have to pay even more attention. 
Thank you for sharing that. That is so critically important because so many things can potentially slip by and every single day things add up to a lot of dollars versus cents um, if you're not watching. So I think that was an excellent point. Let's take that a step further. Um, obviously, it's been important to have your menu costed out regularly to make sure that you're maintaining your margins if possible. And it's more important now than ever and one of the things that, uh, that I've done, you know, when I personally coach restaurants is sort of do a cost profit analysis on the menu. And I, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised at how often it's an eye opener when I show them that their lower profit items are the most popular biggest sellers and that every time they sell this appetizer versus that they're losing this many dollars. And it's even more, you know, significant on the entree side. And that is just so critically important. But I come across a lot of operators that don't even think to take things that far. Do your kitchen managers actively, you know, keep on top of that sort of thing? Or Joe, do you ride herd on that? Uh, we have, a, so we have a buyer in our company that is in charge of all our buy-in. He mm -hmm. works, you know, he was a chef. Issues. And so we created this position for him. So he sends out a weekly sheet on pricing. He works with the all the food vendors uh, every week. We get all our prices loaded into our computers on Sunday night. Great. And we have programs where they'll highlight the best price apples to apples. Uh, so it automatically happens. Uh, our kitchen managers are pretty good at it, but we really uh, count on us to help them mm -hmm. monitor this stuff. Sure. Um, so, but we are, what you were saying, Roger, is, is so accurate. There's so many people. I don't know what the percentage is. You probably know more than I do about it because you you work with a lot of different restaurants. They don't even understand food costs or pricing or center to plate pricing or whatever it is. You're right. And it it's it's so important. Um, you know, if you don't understand that, it's going to be very difficult, especially in this environment, to be successful because of what you just said. You know, you're selling this appetizer, you're making two dollars on it. If you were selling this one, you could make ten dollars on it. Um, or whatever, you know, so we're very, uh, you know, we've been doing this 34 years. Uh, I, I think, you know, we don't go around blowing our own horn, but we, I will say this, we know what we're doing. I'm really happy to hear you say that. And I'm glad we brought up this point because I think it's important for our audience to understand that, that they really need to be bottom line oriented. As a case in point, you know, I just wrapped up a consulting um, assignment with a client that had a $2.8 million restaurant, single location only, annual basis, $2.8 million. And I literally showed them that over the past year, they lost a potential profit of $343,000 against that $2.8 million simply because there were dollars in the spread difference in each category and the lower profit items were stealing significant sales while they're paying the highest wages in the place to the cooks to cook anything. So again, a complete menu redesign is is on the table immediately, but you can also stop the bleeding short term simply by knowing what your most profitable items are and recommending those to your guests through your staff, through education. And like you said, portion controls are critically important. And like Nicole said, speaking to your reps and saying, is there anything of comparable quality that maybe you bought in greater quantities of the economies of scale? Give me a better price. You know, all those things are critically important. And then what you said, Joe, it's like, we all know there's so many operators out there that think taking inventory is walking around, figuring out what the order is that week, not calculating what the value is at any given moment in time of the true value. So prime costs, labor costs, these are all the critical numbers that affect your bottom line. 
in a low margin business that's shrinking every single day based on uncontrollable variables that you know nobody can control. So thanks for bringing all that to, well, to bear. I want to add, you brought yeah. up prime cost. Uh, so we get bonuses to our managers for prime cost. Um, you know, so if we hit our prime cost every month, uh, the kitchen managers get bonuses and all the front of the house managers get bonuses and the bartender, the front, you know, so we have, that's another incentive program that uh, we do. And, um, you know, so there, there, but I guarantee you, most restaurants don't even know what prime costs are. This is true. That is, that is absolutely true. And if we, you know, if we can just share that with the audience and one restaurant hears this message, it may improve their business. So mm -hmm. again, super important. Let's talk about future growth plans. Are you growing your operation? Are there more concepts in your future? I'm just going to say one thing. Uh, me and my wife have been married almost 40 years. We've been uh, probably one of the few people like you, Roger, that knows the restaurant business from the dish pit to the kitchen, to the front of the house. Uh, I am, I have uh, fortunate uh, to have three great daughters and a son-in-law that wants to continue to grow the business. And I'm in full support of it. Uh, we have a, you know, Blaine, you, you should start talk about that a little bit since you haven't talked a little bit, but uh, I'll let them go with that. So we, we've really been, uh, you know, trying to, unify our, our vision as a team. Uh, I think, you know, for the past 30 years, the, you know, Joe and Denise have really set that vision for the company and, and that's gotten us to where we are today, uh, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, as we look into the future and we, we, now that we are operating on a larger scale and, and depending on so many more people uh, to execute, um, you know, we really need to have a shared vision, um, and everybody be on the same page. And so that was a big topic of discussion, uh, at the retreat that Joe mentioned, uh, when we were in Arizona. And, um, one of the things that I think really changed during the course of that retreat was people coming into, um, you know, those meetings with, maybe a vision of us continuing to roll out a bunch of, uh, you know, new original concepts like we've been doing over the past few years. I mean, in Bozeman alone, we've opened four restaurants in five years now, since we opened Sidewinders Bozeman in 2017. Now we have four restaurants, um, three new uh, original concepts in Tanglewood, Foxtrot and Hachi. Um, and so I think a lot of people came into that retreat thinking, oh, we're just going to be doing more of that, you know, new original concepts, you know, finding niches in each of our markets. Um, but I think by the end of the retreat, we were all on the, on the same page of, you know, our efforts are much um, more worthwhile picking concepts like Sidewinders and Mary Piglets and finding locations that, that really make sense for us to replicate. Um, and, being able to do that because it allows us to operate with this lean leadership team that we have and everyone gets to you know benefit i think really exponentially more than we would if we try to continue to do more original concepts so i think that's really our our vision now how big it gets is kind of remains to be seen but like joe mentioned earlier we have another sidewinders that's under construction now um, and definitely, you know, goals to open more locations, uh, in Bozeman 
um, between Sidewinders and Mary Piglets. So um, that's definitely, you know, what, what the future holds. It just kind of remains to be seen what scale we take it to. Well, you know, the most beautiful thing of all is this is such a lasting family legacy that's going to continue for generations. And it's going to be such a proud thing to watch as the company grows and that family members continue to get involved and expand the business just based on the proud heritage it already has. So I think that's tremendous. That's wonderful. Last question. We've covered a lot of ground today and one of you or each of you can answer this, but what is your best advice to operators that have made it through the pandemic so far? They're still beaten up by the labor crisis and they're, you know, some of them are ready to throw in the towel, but you know, the worst is over. How do you get to the other side and keep on going and improve your business? What would you say to those people that are that are in that position right now? Well, I'll go first. Um, I've always had the attitude of a take no prisoners attitude. Um, I, I I will not fail, um, and you know, just keep your head down. And if you're not doing things like the things we talked about today in the podcast, learn them because that's what's going to get you through this. Uh, you really got to know your numbers. You have to know, you know, your prime cost mm-hmm. uh, and all that. And if you don't understand that, call Roger. He'll help you. <laughs> I will. I will be happy to help. One restaurant at a time. Anything we can do to improve the industry. Thanks for sharing that, Joe. Anything you want to share, Nicole? Yeah, I think um, on top of everything he said, don't, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Like don't lose touch with maybe where you started. Um, I think something that I always try to remember and tell myself is like, I never want to not be in the restaurants doing stuff. I never want to be somebody that just sits in an office on my computer and making phone calls. I want to be able to get in there and expo a shift or help bus or do whatever you need to do to help, you know, bring your team together to realize like you're willing to do everything it is, you know, that it takes to make this successful. Thank you. Blaine, anything, Dad? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, specifically regarding the, um, you know, the transition that we've seen since uh, the pandemic, um, I think, you know, a lot of restaurateurs, you know, whether they come from like Joe and Denise's background of, you know, getting started with really nothing and working, you know, through every position in the restaurant or someone like Nicole who grows up in a family business or myself. I mean, really, you know, got started, you know, just managing restaurants and and that sort of thing. Um, It's easy to get caught up because there's no shortage of fires to put out in restaurants every day. And it's easy to get caught up in like the task orientation of, you know, I've got all of these, these line item things to get done um, and forget about the people. And I think that taking more of a people orientation and less of a task orientation has been really key to our success through the pandemic and, and into the future. And so that would be my, my biggest piece of advice. Well, I can't thank you all enough. You're certainly doing so much to uplevel this industry and just your approach to the business is just such fantastic information for our audience. And and there were so many key takeaways in this based on your operating philosophy. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Roger. Thank you. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We thank our audience for tuning in. We wish everyone to stay well and we'll see you in the next episode. 
My sincere thanks to Joe, Nicole, and Blaine of the Blue Collar Restaurant Group. I so enjoy talking shop and hearing all about your ins and outs of running really great restaurants, your service philosophies, the family culture that you've instilled in your restaurants. It's really a well-done operation. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to our sponsors of this week's episode, Plate IQ, Pop Menu, Devo, and Serve, the restaurant training app found at srvnow.com. Can't wait to see you all in the next episode. Stay tuned and don't miss it. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.